Table Mountain in Cape Town. This is Pastor. Man, I appreciate you all so much. Love you. Take care. Keep us in your prayers, all right? Got to get out of here. Bye-bye. Pray with me. Father, thank you this morning that we can gather to worship you. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would speak, that you would bring your word alive in our hearts and minds. Father, that you would call us into a closer place of intimacy with you and fellowship with you. And, Father, we pray that if your word needs to convict us, so be it. And if it needs to infirm us in our walk, God, we welcome that as well. Ultimately, God, we pray our time would be God-honoring and God-glorifying in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm always excited to be with you because this is my home church. And I learned something in the first service because I looked around like I'm doing now and I had not noticed that my wife was in service. So I felt a little more freedom to tell the story that I'm about to tell you because I did not see her. I did not realize that she had slipped in and I didn't recognize her. So with that in mind, I'm going to tell you I have permission to share the story that I'm about to share. One of the greatest learning experiences that came in my life came from the least expected place. Early in marriage, it became apparent that I had a lot to learn about marriage than I ever realized, and I thought naively that it was going to be smooth sailing. I thought it was going to be easy. I thought it was going to be a piece of cake. I married this girl young. I got the molder. You know, for the fellas in the room, you know, I'm five years older than my wife, so she was still in college. I was already professional. I was like, yes, this is going to be a piece of cake. But I had no idea how much learning I had to do. And I know some of you ladies are nicely being patient with me and laughing, but the truth is that I never dreamed that I would learn as much from my wife as I did because I was five years a senior, and of course, I thought I was the one with all the wisdom. Of course, time would teach me different. So this young lady in college, we both got married. She had an apartment. I had an apartment, and we were going to do this thing because we wanted to honor God. Shortly into our marriage, less than two months in, now, mind you, we had two apartments. So less than two months in, we're staying at her apartment during the week and my apartment on the weekends until her lease is up. When we get a phone call and my wife answered the phone, let me put some context around this. My wife's apartment was a studio apartment. My apartment was a two-bedroom apartment. We're both from Chicago. She had an apartment in the city. I had one in the suburbs. So when we get this phone call, I didn't jump up. This all precedes cell phones. You only had one way to get reached unless you had a pager. This is the 80s. We get this phone call, and I hear my wife on the phone, and there is somebody asking to speak to me, and I'm starting to notice my, my wife's face. The person asked to speak to me, and my wife said, well, can I tell him who's calling? And I could hear a female voice on the other line, but I couldn't make it out until my wife pulled the phone down and she proceeded to hand me the phone and she said the young lady's name. Now, I'm sure some of you men are thinking what I was thinking, but this wasn't going to be good. Uh, this was a young lady I had dated five years ago. I had no idea how she got her phone number. I had no idea what she want. And I was afraid to death of what I was about to encounter from my wife when we got off this phone. And so I took the phone and this young lady began to tell me in words that I'm not going to repeat up here 
that she didn't appreciate my getting married and not talking to her. Now, I don't know what goes to your mind when you hear that, but I went from loving Jesus to all of a sudden, you know, like, girl, you didn't lost your mind. I'm already worried about what I got to deal with when I get off the phone, and you talking to me like I owe you an explanation? And so she said something that just, just still floors me today. You need to bring her over my house so I can meet her. Now, what, what person in their right mind would say something like that? Listen, it would be different if she was a family member. It would even be different if we were married at one point. This was a girl I dated in college. I'm out of college five years later, and you call my house, my wife's house, telling me I need to bring you over. Listen, I went from afraid to angry instantly and began to tell that girl, girl, you didn't lost your mind. We ain't coming nowhere near your house. And my wife standing there said, oh, no, we going. <laughs> tell her we will be there. Tell her we will be there. I went from arguing with one woman to arguing with two women. I'm arguing with my wife standing there and the girl on the phone like, I ain't coming. She said, I heard your wife. I said, I ain't coming. We ain't coming. My wife said, oh, we going. Are we going? Because she needs to know you got a wife, and I plan to make that clear when we meet. I told you it wasn't going to be good when I, when I heard the, her say the girl's name. And so the reason I share this story, I think it's a powerful picture. It's not because I want to invite you into the crazy stuff that I had to go through. But because for my wife, who at a young age understood something, at the age of 20, Coming out of a broken home where her parents divorced and my daddy never married anybody, we both decided we would trust Jesus to do this thing his way in spite of our families. She understood something that I want you to understand today. She understood that once we got married, I now belong to her, all of me. All of me belonged to her. It didn't matter what I had did in the past, who I had known in the past. It didn't matter what my background was, what athlete I was. None of that mattered to my wife. She wanted everybody in my circle of friendship to know I belong to her, and she has all of me. She expected all of my affection. She expected all of my attention. She expected and got all of my money. She expected all of me. And she wanted to make that clear to everybody, to my family, to my friends, to my frat brothers, to my teammates. Everybody needed to understand something. In all the relationships I had, she now became the number one relationship in my life. I told you I had a lot to learn, y'all. I'm still learning. But that was something I learned from a 20-year-old early in marriage. Well, listen, in a similar way, I believe God wants to teach us the same thing that God wants to have all of us and he wants to have all of us to the degree that we are fully available to him. For the last several weeks, Pastor Cofield has been reminding us that God expects access to our time, to our talents, and to our treasure. For a few moments today, I want to talk to you from the thought, he wants it all. He wants it all. God wants all of you. He don't want some of you. He wants all of you. Jesus, in response to a question in Mark chapter 12, made this statement. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The first thing I want you to see today is that you need to recognize that God wants you to love him with all your being. God wants you to love him with all your being. 
There is redundancy in this statement that Jesus is making. And it's important to notice any time God speaks something emphatically, he wants to make sure we get this. The heart speaks to your affections, those things that you care about. When Jesus said, I want you to love me with all your heart, not some of your heart, not part of it, but all of your heart. I want all your affections to be towards me. He meant that. But why would he say so? When you start to look at this overlap, some of these words almost have similar meanings. The soul speaks to your true personality. The soul is the only part of us that we will take to heaven with us. He wants us to love him with all of our inner being. And then he said, your mind. The mind speaks to the things that you want to do. Those things that you want to do. The desires that we develop, the desires that we have. And the last one is with all your strength, which speaks to your passion. Those things that we become really ardent about, that we really want to do. God is saying, I want you to love me with all you have been, with all you are, who you are presently, and with all you will be. God wants us to love him wholly, every part of us. He wants all of that brought to the table when he's talking about loving us. Now, notice this because he puts an emphasis here on the inner self. You notice nothing about this statement talked about us loving him with our flesh, Because God assumes when you love him with all your inner being, this body's going to follow. This body's going to follow how I think and do what I think regardless. So he knew if we can love him with all our being, he would have to worry about what our body come to bear. Our body absolutely will come to bear. But I believe there are some tendencies that we see in the scripture that I want to point out that is actually present in the church today. I believe loving God with all our being is very elusive at times because there are so many things that distract us that we forget, make us forget what God has done. Early in scripture, when you go back in Exodus, you see Israel leaving the place of bondage. And it wasn't long before they were out out in the wilderness when Moses goes up the mountain and God tells him to come on up and talk to me, I want to give you some instructions. God, with his own hand, writes the Ten Commandments. And then he says, what's that I hear down in the, in the camp? What he heard in the camp would sound like a party or some of y'all family reunion. And God was like, it don't sound like there's a war. It sounds like there's celebrating going on. And the celebrating going on was overt rebellion against God. And God began to let us see through the life of Israel that is more normal than not for people to quickly forget what God had done for them. Listen, when you lose sight of what God has done for us, we become vulnerable, very vulnerable to be driven by evil desires. Evil desires are all around us, but when we lose sight of what God has done for us, it becomes easy for those very things to drive how we live. Paul was dealing with this in his letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Verse 5, but God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things became examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. 
Don't become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. If I was to read the very next verse, it would go right on into this issue of sexual immorality. The very thing that the people who had just got brought through the Red Sea began to practice because they so quickly forgot what God had done for them. Yielding to an evil desire will impede us from loving God with all of our being. Yielding to an evil desire. It's not that evil desires won't come, but when we yield to them, those things become problematic. Now, I want to park you for a minute because sometimes people think just to have the thought, just to be tempted is the problem. No, temptation, the Bible says, is sure to come. The issue isn't being tempted. The issue is yielding to temptation. The issue is saying that now temptation now becomes my master instead of the God that I professed I love. That's the problem. And that's why it becomes important for us to recognize when we talk about loving God, it has to be visible. It's one thing to say I love the Lord. It's another thing to live any old kind of way. Now, I know I'm talking to the church. Y'all don't have this. This is Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. Almost 147 years old. They don't do that at Good Hope. So let me pick on people somewhere else. But in some places out there, people go to church on Sunday and then they live any way they choose because there's a disconnect between what God has called them to. I've called you to love me with every fiber of your being. And loving me is manifested in how you live. Don't tell me you love me and then you do what you want to do. Listen, I tell my wife I love her. I tell my wife all the time, if you leave me, I'm going with you. She said, boy, you just talking. I said, no, I'm, I'm for real. I'm for real. I'm going with you if you leave me. But listen, I could tell my wife that all I want to, but if I had my wife on this side of town and then I had some other woman on the other side of town, I don't think it's a woman in the audience that would think I love my wife. Now, it might be some men's out there naive enough to think, well, you know, that ain't a problem for me. No, that's problematic. That is not the design of God. God is the author of marriage, in case you don't know this. God made marriage. He made marriage for a variety of reasons, one of which is recreation. Procreation, of course, but recreation as well. But he uses marriage, as I told you, to grow us. My wife has been one of the people most influential in who I've become as we spent over 30 years together. But listen, if I thought for a minute that I could go do anything I want to do and still make that woman think I loved her, I would be the one that's deceived. Now, I know none of y'all had that problem, but in some places that's what happened, and that's what we saw happen in Israel's life. Listen, love is seen in our actions more than our, in our words. It don't matter how many times I tell my wife I love her. Can she see in my actions more than in my words? Three times in John 14, Jesus relates that our love for him is expressed in keeping the commandments. John 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. In verse 21, he says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And in verse 23, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, and he will, keep, he will keep my word. Listen, anytime God has to be emphatic about something, to restate the very same thing different ways in the same chapter of the book, once God is wanting to make sure we get this. Love is connected to doing. You cannot say I love you and then do anything you want to do. The second thing I want you to see is that you need to recognize 
that God wants first place in your life. The very thing my young wife was making sure that all my friends understood is that can't deal with his past, but he's mine now, and I'm his, and I'm now the priority of his life. And so as a result of that, we began to learn how to live that way. Well, listen, Jesus made something clear to his disciples, which many of you in this room are classified as. In Luke 14, Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot belong to me as my follower unless, catch this, you love me more than you love your parents. You love me more than you love your children. You love me more than you love your siblings. You cannot follow me unless you love me more than you love your own life. Jesus is stating a hard picture for us, but it's a very simple picture in reality. It's not problematic to love Jesus more. Jesus is not calling us to be in unloving relationships with our family. What he's saying is that we cannot put any of those people or any of those relationships above him. You have to love him more. And what's being stated in this passage is the issue of preeminence. Preeminence, who or what will be first in our life? That's the issue. And the question I know some of you out in this audience probably has to ask yourself is, what relationship takes first priority in my life? What relationship takes first priority in my life? Is God in the position of priority for me? Or do I have a relationship somewhere else that's more important to God? God requires that he alone holds the position of preeminence for his followers. Now, listen, I'm talking to his followers. If you are not in here and you don't know Jesus as the part in the pardon of your sin, this is not to you. This is for those of us who claim him as, as Lord. This is for those of us who have trusted in him in the pardon of our sins. This is who he's talking about having the place of preeminence. You have to love him more than everybody else. However, this is frequently a problem among God's children. Few places illustrate the challenge of this better in culture than the arts. Songs and poems created for entertainment become prophetic voices shaping our theology. These, along with TVs, programs, and movies, all become the contradicting voices in our life that shape how we think. Because thinking always influences behavior. If you don't know the most vital thing for you to live biblically is to think biblically, you don't understand this faith journey that you're in. I cannot live biblically if I don't think biblically. I cannot live a God-honoring life and live based on Sanford and Son. I just picked on that one because I knew I wouldn't get in trouble. It don't matter what you pick out there that's some other voice, any other voice other than the scriptures where God has laid out how he calls us to live is problematic if that voice now shapes how I live. I know I will date myself with the songs that came to my mind, but I picked a couple that I wanted you to think back on with me. I'm speaking to the uh, mature saints in the room, uh, and I'm, I'm also dating myself. I knew I could talk to my my grown children and get some contemporary versions for the young people in the room. Even though I don't know what they are, I know that they are. Because one thing for sure, the messages may not, I mean, the songs may have some different melodies, but the messages will continue to repeat themselves when they're telling you to do whatever you want to do. 
And so they come out in all kind of ways. But here's what came to my mind when I start thinking about the audience today. Listen to Luther Ingram's words. It's no future in loving a married man. If I can't see you when I want, I'll see you when I can. Oh, you might not want to shake your head too much. Listen, that was one of those songs that made you want to pull somebody close. Start breathing on the side of their face. Listen, but, but the message is problematic. The message is problematic. But that brother sang that song so well that he made you think that was, that was like the gospel. Girl, if loving you is wrong, I ain't got to be right. Get that. No, no, that's problematic. He did it really well, so well, man, Tyler Perry made a movie about it. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to do right. The second song was one of those songs from the 70s that I thought about, and I was in high school when this came out. And you know, the funny thing is when you read the lyrics today and you realize it's a song about the devil, I mean overtly about the devil, it's telling you it's about the devil. Wasn't nobody young trying to hear that when we was out there. All we wanted to do is jump up and shake it. And so I'm going to forbid you to jump up and shake it right now, but, but I want you to hear this other song by Peter Brown. We might spend some time alone. Oh yeah, the thoughts that fill my head. Yeah, what he say? The idle mind is the playground of who? The devil. Do you want to get funky with me? If you go back and read the whole song, you would be thinking, "What was we thinking?" He telling you the devil finna take you captive. And then the next hook to the song is, it's so, it's so hot, I'm burning up. Man, don't nobody trying to burn up. You know what he's talking about. It's so, it's so hot, I'm burning up. I'm like, ooh. It's one of those messages that you have to capture that subtly can be, move you away. Listen, whether you interpret that as just pure passion or whether you interpret that as what the song is inferring, talking about taking me to hell, neither one of those things move me to become more like Christ. Both of them move me away from God. Now, I'm not picking, listen, this is not being critical of either one of those artists. It just so happened to be that I realized that one of the places that influence, influences our thinking the most, we can find in the arts. And many times, I don't believe the artists even think through what they're singing. The devil has a plan, and that plan is to make us make something else other than God, God. In both those songs, the issue is about pleasure. And for those artists, maybe they didn't recognize it, but what they were singing about is pleasure becoming God. Pleasure becoming God. The devil effectively uses all kinds of things to get us off course. And there are three things I want you to look at that he uses. The first is hedonism. Hedonism is about a pleasure-centered life. There is a plethora of songs in America, and God knows in black America, about pleasure. I, I, I mean, just that's, hey, hey, you know, you know, I ain't even going to sing. Now listen, my favorite, my favorite band from the 70s is the Isley Brothers. Mm-hmm. That's my wife fellowship music. But at the end of the day, they weren't singing about married couples. 
The other thing that the devil does really well is materialism. Wealth-centered life. A wealth-centered, I got to get stuff. Listen, nobody did a better job, and the song is still played today than the OJs in the early 1970s when they made the song Money. And they pointed out the things people will do to get money. I, I got to have it. And, you know, listen, there are some shameful things that are done. There's some shameful things done to people for money. And the third one is humanism. When you're talking about a man-centered life, it's, it's what we see at the close of the poem Invictus when it says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Those of us who know that poem, you know, we learned that poem. I learned that poem when I was online, and it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I thought of that one day, and I was like, that ain't true. You ain't no master and captain of nothing. You surely ain't the captain of your soul. You don't get to say where you're going eternally, and you don't even get to say when you're checking out. Now, it does sound good. I like the poem. I'm not being critical. I'm saying those voices influence us to make something or someone else God above God. And Jesus said, no, you got to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 1 John 2.16 said, for everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but from the world. The ideal of preeminence, what God is asking for, means to be first in rank or influence. It is therefore the ideal of somebody holding the number one position. Who holds the number one position in your life? What holds the number one position in your life? Is it your job? Is it some relationship? You have to answer that for you. But for sure, you have to answer, is there anything in my life that I hold in a position higher, to, higher than God? This is exactly why God gave this word to Moses in Exodus 20 when he said, you shall have no other gods before me. Man, don't put nothing in front of me. Now, you would think if anybody should get that, Israel should have got it. I mean, it shouldn't have been difficult at all for them to get this. Listen, listen ain't none of us saw what they saw. You know, we had no cloud leading us by day and a blazing flame leading us by night. We haven't had, we haven't had, well, y'all ain't got many lakes. You ain't had the bayou open up and you can walk across it on dry land. I'm from Chicago, I almost said Lake Michigan. But it don't really matter. You understand I'm saying a body of water open up and you go across on dry land. You would think them people would be like, oh, yeah, God is God, man. You, you ain't got to tell me again. But it wasn't too long after that period that they had something else before God. Listen, when the commandment says to have no other gods before me, it means to love something more than God. You can't have something else you put in front of God. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't even know if you have that challenge, but I'm telling you, people all around us have that challenge. I will never forget the first Bible study I joined in 1985. I was shortly out of college, gave my life to the Lord, a little bit after, almost two years out of college, go to a Bible study with no background in church at all. And I began to be friends with the other young adults in the, in the group. And I remember one young lady who just recently graduated from college. I will never forget her telling me this. I didn't have a biblical framework to give her any perspective at that time. I was new. But I remember her telling me, listen, God knows my needs. God knows my desires. God knows I got to have it. Now, she was talking about some things I'm not going to repeat up here. But I remember listening to her because I was coming out the world living an immoral lifestyle, and I was like, something about that for me is problematic, but I didn't have an argument for it yet. God knows you have to have it, 
No, no, no. Listen, God made what you're talking about. God is the author of every part on your body and every act we engage in intimately. God is the author of it. If you don't understand anything else about God, know the very fact that we talk about sex is God's ideal. God could have had us high-five each other and have babies if he wanted to. He chose to make it a little more um, interesting. Thank you. Help a brother out. He did. But it was God's idea. It wasn't man's idea. It was God who said, multiply and fill the earth. It was God who gives life. It's not the act alone. We all know people trying to have babies that can't have babies. They engage in the act, but they can't procreate. God chooses when life happens, even when we choose to get in the outside of God's will like my parents did. God is still the one who says, I give life or I don't give life. So it's a God thing when he says, I'm going to put parameters around the act. He should be able to say what the inbounds and the out-of-bounds is with the act of sex because it was his act from the beginning. And I also come to learn that when he put parameters around it, he does it to protect us. There are a lot of things being traded out there today in the marketplace. All of them ain't good. I'm going to leave it at that. So, so, so sometimes people don't get this issue. Because they forget that the call for the follower is to follow. How can I claim to be a follower and don't follow? Listen, if you're a disciple of Christ, that is the supreme invitation for you. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me has all kind of implications to it. And we so often don't see people do it because we so often see people do what they want to do. It's what we see happening at times when people move away from this. I'm not going to read this passage to you. I, I want you to make this note in your own notes. 2 Kings chapter 5 is a picture in Scripture of two men that respond to God differently. It's the story of Elisha dealing with Naaman's leprosy and his servant Gehazi who responds because he want to get paid. In this picture, we see the, the man of God want to bring glory to the reputation of God when he allows God to use him to heal this man. And then his servant, who wanted to, some of the stuff that the man had, goes after him and lies about what his master said so he can get paid. In this picture of this chapter, God takes the disease that he took off of Naaman and he puts it on Gehazi. Because in that moment, Gehazi made materialism his God. I'm only giving you that because it's important for us to understand. God wants us to walk in a way that the supernatural presence of God is unmistakable. God wants people to know that you belong to him based on how you live. When you and I live distinct from the world, when we don't do what other people tell us, it's a real uh, statement to people that something's different about you. By the way, the scripture calls us peculiar people. So it's nothing wrong with being a little different, particularly if I want to be God-honoring. If I want to be God-honoring, then I have to be able to be called out my name or misunderstood. I shared it in the earlier service, and I'll share it again. One of the challenges I faced early on as a young believer when I started trying to live morally instead of immorally was some young lady asking me if I was gay. Let me hurry up and say this is not a criticism, criticism on somebody's sexual orientation. Because whether you are involved in homosexuality or heterosexual sin, both are sin. 
So if you're sleeping with somebody that ain't your spouse, you in sin. And if you're sleeping with somebody that's the same sex, you in sin. Period. My point is this. As a man who came out of immorality, when I was asked this by a young lady because I wouldn't sin, you know what my first response was? Girl, I got your gay. I'll show you how gay I am. I'll show you my gay. And you know what? The Lord quickly showed me. Are you going to let the devil get you like that? Are you going to let the devil get you like that? You come out of whoredom and all of a sudden now you're worried about somebody calling you gay? No, 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 no. You are no longer a slave to sin. And so, you know, I went on with, I stopped. I didn't respond. I, I, I wanted to, but I didn't. But the Spirit of God began to teach me, you're going to have to endure more than just that foolish criticism when you live a set-apart life for me. So I've had to raise two sons who are better looking than their father, bigger boys than their father, and teach them about what it means to be sexually pure or faithful husbands. Because that's not what the world teaches. And I had to teach them that by being that in their presence with their mother. It was a goal to honor God. This isn't about me. This isn't about me. I mean, I appreciate your uh, uh, affirmation, but this was never about me. This is about God's reputation. This is about my children understanding the design of God and how beautiful it is to walk in the design of God versus letting somebody pull me back into the stuff that's so unfortunately normal in our community. Another word for love when you think about love, another word for love in Scripture should be selfless. Selfless. That's the difference between the two characters in 2 Kings 5. Gehazi and Elisha responded to the same set of circumstances and opportunities, but did so differently. One was trying to get paid. The other was trying to bring God glory. It's God's glory and others' growth are why God wants us to love him with all our being. If you don't understand why Jesus is asking us that, you can miss this. God's glory and others' growth. People see us living unique lives. And then being authentic enough to say, man, but I was still challenged by that. I'm challenged by the same things everybody else is challenged with. I get angry when I get cut off on the road too. God has just kept me from making hand signals now. I know some of y'all might be still doing that. I know y'all laugh pretty quick. But God is keeping me. Let me keep moving. I got to bring this to a close. The third and final thing I want you to see is you need to recognize God wants you to bring him glory. God wants you to bring him glory. Jesus in Matthew 5 said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. Somebody put it this way. Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. They will get to know God because they know you. The statement to follow me is the statement that Jesus calls us all to. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Follow me implies self-denial. Follow me has all kind of implications in it. Jesus was God Almighty who took on human flesh but constantly denied himself. That's what we've been invited to do. John the Baptist made a statement that has 
spoken to me over time. John chapter 3, he said, he must increase, talking about Jesus, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. In the process of following him, Jesus gets exalted in my life, and I take on a position of a doulos, which is a selective servant. I know that's hard for us as black people because, you know, the word slave just don't rest well with me. I struggled with that big time when I got saved. But it is what God's calling us to be. The difference is with doulos, you choose to be a slave. I choose to follow you and obey you and tie myself to you. And I choose to do it not just for my benefit, but for the benefit of others. God wants it all because he wants to make himself known through all the instruments in this room. Everybody in this room that knows Jesus and the partner they're seeing has the potential to do one or two things as a result. We have the potential to be a vehicle through which God can make himself known to somebody, or we have the potential to be something that repels people from God because of how we live. We all have that potential. I will close with this picture. It's a contrasting thing. Most of us this morning got up and took showers and used mouthwash and toothpaste, sprayed on perfume or cologne. I doubt very seriously if anybody in this room went into the outhouse to get any fragrance to put on himself. They all sprayed on something that was a pleasant smell. The Bible says we have the potential to be the aroma of Christ. But I would suggest we also have the potential to be the stench that drives people away from God. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we praise you. And God, I thank you for the men and women in this room who come here week in, week out, Father, to draw close to you, to be sharpened through your word. Father, to let their hearts and their hands be lifted in praise and adoration to who you are. God, we recognize and acknowledge that you alone are God and you alone are the one who paid the ultimate price that we would be pardoned of sin. And so, God, I pray today, if there's somebody in this room who don't know you that way, Father, that you would speak to their hearts. Ultimately, God, we thank you for the privilege of prayer and we thank you for your sweet fellowship of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. And as I turn it over to Reverend Bill, I do want to share this as the music ministry makes their way on up here. Listen, beloved, I know I'm talking to those who know Jesus, or at least that's the assumption of most of my message. But if you came in here today like I came into a church way back in 1983, I didn't know Jesus. I knew of Jesus. I know of Barack Obama, but I don't know him. Listen, coming to church will no longer make you, no more make you a Christian than going to Burger King is going to make you a whopper. You become a Christ follower through a decision. A decision aided by the Spirit of God, what Jesus said, but to those who believe, to those who receive, they had the, the right to become children of God. It is two things that take place in this process of going from being my own to being God's. It's the belief that God sent his son to down that cross for our sin. And it is the receiving of that gift that he has extended to every one of us.
If I pulled out my wallet, I don't know what I got in there, but let's say I had a $50 bill in there. I don't think so. So let me try to find a $1 bill in case somebody come take it. But Okay. The biggest bill in my wallet is a $100 bill. You can't keep this. I'm telling you in advance, okay? But if I said this is for you, and I came over here, and this is, I'm coming to get my money. I'm telling you now. And I extended that to you. And he said, good luck to come get it. But if I extended that to you and you did not take it, it would not become yours. Listen, that's what God is doing with salvation. He is extending his son. Jesus paid the price. But it's up to you to receive it. Now, if you don't receive it, don't think just coming to church, being in church, does it? Because it doesn't. It is a gift that you have to take. But it's a gift that he wants you to have. So I invite you today, if that's you, to come down here. There will be people up front to pray for you. That's why we come every week, not only to grow closer to God ourselves, but to see others who are like us in this journey get to know God. Get to know God. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Stand on your feet. I give myself away so you can use me. Here I am. Here I stand. Lord, my life is in your hand. Lord, I'm longing to see your desires revealed in me. I give myself I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. Reverend Thomas has just given us a very vivid picture what it means to receive Christ. I don't know anybody in here that would not take $100. But yet every Sunday, someone in here will not accept Jesus Christ. And he's far more worth than $100. I don't know what Reverend Thomas did to earn that $100. but I know what Jesus did. He gave it up. Gave it all up just for you. Somebody here today, you've been having that spiritual journey from the head to the heart. No, I want to go. Yes, you need to go. All of that. Give that up 
and come on down now and accept Jesus Christ for what he did for you. You might not think you're a sinner, but yes, all of us are born in sin and shaping in iniquity. We, we didn't come here as goody two-shoes, and we won't leave here as goody two-shoes. Everything that happens here is imperfection. Perfection only comes in glory. So you're still trying to get there, but you've been trying to get there by yourself. God took care of that for you. You got a chance today to receive him. And you ain't got to get it right. Just come on. And he'll help you get it right. The challenge today was for you that are following Christ. The challenge today is you haven't been giving him your all. You've been telling him, Lord, I'll give you 25 today. The layaway is 75. And the reality of that layaway is you may not ever see it. We welcome you to come now and give him your all. Life happened to you. Got you all messed up. Broken relationships. Lost your job. Your health went bad. Things just went the wrong way. And you started questioning God. You know you needed to be in church. You know you need to have a relationship, but everything else has been happening. And God ain't been taking care of you like you want him to take care of you. Well, the thing there is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He hadn't changed. Life happened to you, but he didn't tell you to run from it. Matter of fact, he said you ought to run to me. Somebody has this saying that goes around is that he won't put more on you than you can stand. Let me, let me fix that for you right now. That's a lie. He will put more on you so you can run to him. So if, if it's on you and you can't give him your all, run to him so you can give him your all. If it's on you and it's holding you back, come to him with everything you got. Whatever the burden is, bring it to him. Whatever's got you broken, bring it to him. Whatever's got you shortchanging him, bring it to him. He's willing and he's able to take it off of you. Take your burdens to the Lord, old song says, and, and leave them there. You have a chance today to do that. You've been backsliding. We invite you now to come just as you are. You're looking for a church home. You've been wondering if Good Hope is the place to be. Yes, it is the place to be. We're not perfect. But come join us on this journey, and we're going to love on you just as God loves on us. God loves on us, his imperfect people. So we're going to do it all together. So we invite you to be a part of this family, and we'll help you to belong, 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 become all that God has designed for you to be. So come now, just as you are, as Minister Taylor sings for us. Take my heart, take my life as a living. 
everybody. Come on. I give myself away. Oh, God. I give myself away. So you can so you use me. Can use give myself me. away. Give myself away. Here I am, Lord. I give myself away. So you can use me. Well, we have a mother and a son that have come. Yes. Let us stretch our hands out and pray for them. Stand right there. God, we come right now. We lift up to you this mother and this son. Lord, we thank you that uh, they have decided to make a positive decision for you. That they have decided that there is no turning back. That they're going to follow you. Now, Lord, I pray that you meet their needs according to the sufficiency only found in Jesus Christ. Meet their needs according to your will, Lord. And then, Lord, I, I pray that you help us to love them just as you loved us. Now, lift them up to you right now in the name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen, amen. All right. God bless you. Amen. Yes, yes, yes. You may be seated. was a challenging word this morning. Yeah. That's one of them words where the preacher just cuts you and all you can do is try to stop the bleed. But that's a challenging for all of us that know that if we're not doing all we're supposed to do for God, we need to get some things right. We need to hurry up and get them right because tomorrow is not promised. All right, it's time for the offering. Amen. All right. I see the brothers are in place. All right, Master Control. We're in your hands. Do you want to get out of debt and stay out of debt once and for all? Then join us for our Money Management Empowerment Workshop on Saturday, April 6th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. in the Center for Hope. Hope to see you there. The Marriage Enrichment Ministry presents a date night at Top Golf. This will be a special night for food, fun, fellowship, and a friendly game of golf on Saturday, March 23rd from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Hope to see you there. Don't forget, CDs of all sermons are located in the Center for Hope Bookstore for a donation of $5. That about does it for this week's Good News Weekly announcements. Have a blessed and prosperous week, and remember, good hope, loving God, loving all people, and changing the world. Amen. Let me uh, share a couple of uh, ministry celebrations with you. The uh, Upward Soccer Evaluations with Good Hope, uh, the community, University of Houston, and TSU players was done on yesterday. That has a nice picture there. Amen. All right. And then the Awana Clubbers. 
uh, gave their 147 minutes of uh, donation. So they were donating lunches with encouraging words for the kids' meals program last week. Amen. All right, so our little ones meeting the challenge of 147 minutes. And I also want to encourage you that we need volunteers for the Hoop for Hopes this summer. So if you're thinking or you're trying to figure out where you're going to put your 147 minutes in, that is Hoop for Hopes. Come and coach. Come and encourage. Come and serve any kind of way you can. Uh, Deacon Daryl Holmes is looking for as many of you as possible that will make yourself available for Hoop for Hopes for the summer program. Amen. All right, let us continue in giving. Uh, remember the challenge that's before you of $147, any kind of way that God has shown you to do it. That's in celebration of our church anniversary. All right. We may proceed. Go ahead, Deacon. wonderful message, a challenging message, so we want to show him how much we appreciate him, so we're going to bless him here with an offering, so we're going to have uh, the deacons uh, pass the buckets again and show some love to Reverend Thomas and uh, put something there in that bucket so we can bless him in a, in a mighty, mighty way, amen? amen? All right, go ahead, uh, deacons.
God, we thank you for all of these gifts that have been given. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided to us what we need to give back to you. So we pray blessings on them to build the kingdom, to bless Reverend Thomas, and to also, Lord, just give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me share a few more announcements with you. Next Sunday is our 147th church anniversary. Amen. Amen. Just so you understand, that means that this church was started in 1872, which means that there were some slaves in this church. It means that there was the direct descendants of slaves in this church. This church has come through the Great Depression. It has come through all of the trials and tribulations that would have been done to black folk. God has been good to this church. We ought to celebrate next Sunday what he has done to all of his people and for his people here at the Good Hope Church. Now, in honor of that celebration, we got a couple of things we want you to participate in. On Saturday, we're having a uh, picnic at the Fourth Ward property. We're going to start at 12 o'clock. We ask that you bring your chairs. Uh, we will have food served. And uh, if you're needing a ride, you can meet us here. And we're going to take some buses over to the property uh, on Saturday and bring you back. Uh, otherwise, you can meet us over at the property. Now, this is what I need you to do. I need you to RSVP by tomorrow, either online or you can do it today in the Center for Hope. And let us know that you are going to be coming on next Saturday at 12 o'clock. Also, Friday and Saturday, we're having our Community Empowerment Weekend. We're going to have the worship and work on Friday at 7. And then on Saturday morning, start at 8 o'clock, we're going to have the Community Empowerment uh, event where we are meeting the needs of the community. So we're still doing that. And then on Friday, March 22nd, at 2 o'clock here in the sanctuary, uh, Judge Genesis Draper, this is the judge that uh, took the place of the late Judge uh, Holloman for the County Criminal Court Law 12. She's going to have her swearing in, judicial swearing in, at 2 o'clock here at the church. She wanted me to make sure that I invited the church family to be a part of that with her. All right, so if you are available Friday at, at 2 o'clock, come and support her uh, in the swearing-in here in the sanctuary on March 22nd. All right, so that's a busy weekend, but it's a good weekend. So we look forward to seeing you on Friday if you can make it, Saturday morning, and then for the picnic that we're having uh, also on the Fourth Ward property. And the key thing for the picnic is I do need you to RSVP so we'll know that you're coming. All right, a couple of more things I want to share with you. Uh, the Sam's Fellowship will still be taking place Saturday. Uh, Sister Scarborough will be looking forward to seeing you there. And uh, don't forget to sign up for the golf tournament. We're still taking sponsors. We're still taking golfers today. So you feel free to come and sign up as well. All right. Pastor and company is coming back this week. So I ask that you keep them in your prayers for a safe travel back home and find all things well. Keep the sick and shut in in your prayers as well as all of our bereaved families. Keep them on your prayer list as they continue to make the adjustments in their life. Okay, I think that's just about it. All right, now it's time to recognize our guests. So 
If you are visiting with us today for the first time, would you please stand if it's your very first visit? We're not going to ask you to say anything. We do want to recognize you if it's your first visit or your second visit or your third visit. Please stand. Remain standing if you're here. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Well, we're so glad that you're here this morning. Please remain standing. We hope, we pray that something has been sung, something has been said. You've had a warm smile, a gentle touch. Somebody has said hello this morning. Now, if we missed and didn't do it, we invite you to come back and give us another shot at it, all right? But because you're here today, we have a special reception just for you. And I'm going to ask that you gather your things and you can follow this young lady, these young ladies here who are part of our guest relations ministry. And they're going to take you to the area for the reception. We have a special gift for you. We're going to share a little bit more about the Good Hope Church and have a little uh, small uh, sample of food for you as well. God bless you. Thank you for coming. We really appreciate the fact that you decided to worship with us today. And we look forward to seeing you again. Amen. All right. Show some love, church. All right, there you go. There's more coming over that way. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all, if y'all ain't been to the rodeo, it's over with, amen. All right. Everybody good? Let's thank God again for Reverend Thomas and that challenging message. That's one of those messages you can put in your pocket and work with it all week long. And let the Lord work on you, amen. All right, let's stand and be dismissed. All right, touch your shoulder, give a hug. Amen. God, we thank you today for blessing us to have a chance to hear a word from you, a word that convicts us, Lord, a word that challenges us, a word that reminds us that all things come of thee, that you require for us to give you our all. Lord, where we have not, we, we pray right now that we surrender all to you and make you first place, Lord, make you the center of our lives so that you can do a great work through us. So thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus who gave his all for us. Now, Lord, I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice that you bless them this week as they rise up early and settle late. Bless them, Lord, as they go out and as they come in. Bless them in their labor and in their leisure until we come together again in the house of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Hug about five folk on your way out. Show them some love.